nod, wave your hand, something. Thank you. Are you leaving me alone up here? So that's something that came to mind. But we're looking at glory today, okay? Um, and it's interesting, just there are a lot of things that can come to mind when we hear that word. Another thing is, is part of the reason I say that is, uh, you know, in my church background, in my context, we speak a lot about going to glory or someone has gone on to glory. Uh, in other church contexts, people may speak about heaven and specifically say heaven, but just trying to understand what is glory, what is heaven. So if you would just take a moment and just in your mind, just think about what comes to mind when you hear the word heaven. What are some of the things that you think about? What, what do you picture? See, even now, your thoughts and images are starting to come into your mind, right? For some of you, it might be um, streets of gold. Some of you might be, you know, St. Peter at the pearly gates. Some of you, it might be, I don't know, floating on a cloud, playing a harp, wearing a diaper. Um, that's, I mean, at least in some of the cartoons I used to watch as a kid, that was kind of what they did. See, the thing, heaven, heaven in our minds has been affected by a lot of different things. And we, we have so many different sources from what has shaped our view of heaven. And heaven, even as a term, has been distorted in some ways because people will talk about heaven on earth. They'll talk about that when they eat their favorite slice of pie or whatever. It was like heaven on earth. But heaven is nothing like what most of us imagine heaven to be. It's nothing like what most of us imagine heaven to be. Heaven is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But unless the thoughts that started to come into your mind centered around what the scripture says or centered around even better God, then heaven isn't anything like what we think it is. And, and I'm so thankful for this because so many times I start thinking about heaven and I forget that it's more than just the absence of bad things. Instead, heaven is the very presence of God. And so as we get ready to go through this, a couple of things just to kind of set the stage. And I would, I would call you to, to just think about this as we work our way through these things. And the first thing is that heaven, like I said, is not about us. Heaven is all about God. Heaven is all about God. And what we're getting ready to look at in this passage, you'll see we're mentioned a couple of places. But heaven is all about God. And then the second thing is a lot of us think that it's going to just be peaceful and serene and, and just a you know, wonderful laid-back experience. But the truth is heaven's going to be intense, Heaven is going to be intense. It's going to be intense worship. It's going to be intense joy. There's going to be intense longing and desire for things. If you read through Revelation, there's even some intense sadness that's there. Not from the same sources that we find in our lives now, but there's some intense things that are present in there. So I'll say this. If you're curious about what heaven looks like, before this description of the new heaven and the new earth. Write this down in your notes, if you could, please read Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And that should give you a kind of a good image of what it's like 
in heaven. What God is doing in heaven and what everyone else in heaven is doing right while they're there. And so as we work through this text, I'll say now, this first part is going to be a little bit academic because it's revelation, okay? I mean, it's to a degree, it's a lot to think about and a lot to try to understand. So as we go through it, I would just ask, please try to do kind of the same thing that we did when we went through creation, if you remember that back in Genesis. And let's not get lost in all of the theories and all of the possibilities. Let's not get lost in premillennialism, pre-trib, post-trib, amillennial, superlapsarian. Let's not get lost in all of that, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't call you a name. That's a theological term. So let's not get lost in all of that. Instead, let's try to focus on God, focus on his magnitude, focus on his grace, focus on his victory that is displayed as we look in this passage. I mentioned it when we did uh, creation, and I'll say it again now. Please don't miss the point. This is all about God. This is all about God. All right. First things first, and these aren't necessarily in any order, but the, the, the first point is creation restored. As we look at this passage, we see all of the things that are going on. There's, there's things that's hard for us to comprehend, hard for us to understand. What does it mean for there to be a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming out of God? What does that mean? The, the point is, we read in verses 1 and 5a, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Again, we're not going to get into the theories. There's theories. Is this just a restoration of what was there? Or was this a completely new replacement of everything that was there? You know, I... This is the one thing that I might say is a little bit made made a little bit more clear as you look at the rest of Scripture. We can see some other things that help us to get some clues into this. The point here is that God is making something new. He is taking something that is broken and He's making it new. If the plagues that were all recorded through Revelation up to this point are literal and were actually happening then the earth was decimated by earthquakes and storms and just the wrath of God in so many different ways, not just for no reason. God was doing this all for a reason. Every seal that was broken, every bowl of wrath that was poured out was for the purpose of calling people to repentance. I'm sorry, I'm God. This is my standard. You haven't lived up to my standard. Accept my son. He is your way to live up to my standard. No, Okay, here are the consequences of your rejection. And one of these things says that one-third of the population of the earth was wiped out. Can you imagine what that must have been like? What it will be like? The, The earth was ravaged by the wrath of God. And so it would make sense to me that along with other things, that this would suggest that this was something that was, was being built up, something that was going to completely replace 
what was there. Now, it doesn't mean that it's completely, completely different, right? So it, uh, we get a little bit of a hint of this when we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and the concept Paul is explaining what our resurrected bodies will be like. And he says, you know, you have a seed, you take a seed and you know it's a seed and you put it in the ground and then it grows and what you get isn't a seed. You get a plant, but you didn't put a plant in the ground. In order for that seed to produce the plant, the life in the plant, the seed had to die first and stop being a seed and become a plant. And he's, he's kind of saying, well, they're definitely related. The plant was in the seed, but it had to be changed and transformed. So this is what God does as he, as he makes things new, as he introduces new life into, into broken, dead things. And if this is what the earth was, then the new heaven and the new earth would proceed in similar fashion. If you look back at creation, when God was done, he rested. And to me, when God says, I don't need to do anything else here, it doesn't get any better than that. And like we said back then, we knew, God knew what was coming. God knew what was going to happen in Genesis chapter 3. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin, and it was still good, very good, good enough for him to take his hands off of the work and just say, this is perfect. But Adam and Eve sinned. Now we have the fall. Now, uh, like Paul records in Romans, now all creation is groaning with the pains of childbirth, longing for the adoption of the sons to actually fully be revealed, to fully be done. It was, it was already done when Christ died on the cross and, and bought for us our salvation. But it's not yet fully done yet. And this is, this is what we're seeing when we look in Revelation, and it brings so much joy and so much hope to think that what has been so broken in creation will be fully restored, a new heaven and a new earth. In the description, we, didn't, we don't have time to go into it, but if you read through the description in, in verses 9 through uh, guess 21 or so, 9 through 21, and you read the description of the new Jerusalem, Man, that is so good. It's so beautiful. It's hard to even to, to, to perceive of gold that's like transparent glass. John is trying as best he can to take this thing that he's seeing that's in another realm and put it into human terms for us to try to understand. The point isn't actually what the, what the road looks like. It isn't what the walls actually look like. It isn't what the foundations actually look like. The point is, God made something completely new, and it was great. It was amazing. It was even better than the first creation. He has done something that has introduced new life into what was broken. And only God could do this. Only God could do this. Creation has been restored. So all of the thorns that were now being produced by the land really not even necessary anymore. Because if you continue reading, you can see that the fruit, the trees bear 12 different types of fruit. I mean, the trees are giving us everything that we need. We don't, we don't need to work the land anymore. God has restored creation completely. As we look at the next point, I'm going to move through these points relatively quickly. We get to the end here. <clears throat> His worship has been restored. 
Worship has been restored. We read in verses 3 and then again in verse 22. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. In the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, God instructed his people to to build a tabernacle and to go through multiple steps to provide a place for him to be able to dwell, for them to be able to go and say, okay, God, I'm coming to you for something, coming to you for forgiveness, I'm coming to you for something. And then they were able to eventually progress to having a temple built. And so now they have this magnificent temple. It's amazing. It's beautiful. So many great and wonderful things are there. And in the temple is the Holy of Holies. Again, the presence of God in that particular place. So they go to that place. Only the high priest could go in, only at a certain time of year, only under certain conditions, so that he could offer for the people a sacrifice, for the God to be appeased, his wrath to be taken away from them as a people so that they can be forgiven from their sin. And that was only temporary because they had to do it again and again and again, year after year. This makes me think of a couple of things. First, what was worship like before the fall? What was worship like when there was no obstruction between God and man? There was nothing that would keep them from being able to fully engage with their creator. Nothing. No sin, no sickness, no sadness, no pain, no death, no anger, no selfishness. How frequently do we go before the Lord and worship him because he's, because he's done something great for us? But our lives were devoid of the worship when things were not going well. That gets in the way of our worship, trouble and difficulty and strife and frustration and pain and sickness. They get in the way and keep us from being able to engage with God. Can you imagine what worship must have been like when there was nothing to get in the way? And it was literally every day, all day, full access to God. No threat of dying for seeing him in his glory. And then the fall, and God said, okay, you want to worship me? You have to do it this way. He said, with all of this Old Testament stuff that that these guys had to do, you know, we do some things here now out of freedom, but even still we have limitations on our worship. We're limited by our bodies. We're limited by some of us, our vocal cords. But doesn't mean that we don't try to worship the Lord. The rituals and the limitations that they had to go through in order to be able to worship God, this is all being fully restored in Revelation 21. 
Because now you don't have to go into a temple. This is, you don't have to go to a specific place to be able to offer a sacrifice or ask God to forgive you. You don't have to go into a specific place to try to engage with God. And this is the full realization of what it means when Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God? Now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And this is great. This is the already. But the not yet is what we see in Revelation 21. Right now we have the ability to go to God and we can say, Lord, I, I know I am just sitting in my living room right now and there's a bunch of chaos going on around me and I'm distracted and I'm frustrated, but you are God and you are good. I love you and I need you right now. And he responds right now. That's a blessing. This is what Christ's sacrifice bought for us right now. But as we look to this passage, there is so much greater joy, so much greater joy knowing that we would be completely surrounded in this place by the presence of God, the very real manifest presence of God, so much so that we won't even need lights. There won't be any night. There won't be any darkness. We will be able to fully experience the glory of God and respond to him in worship, unobstructed. Worship will be fully restored. Right now, we can kind of see, kind of in a, in a mirror dimly, we can kind of see a little bit of what it looks like, what glory really looks like. But man, this day, when this day comes, the day of the Lord, we will be able to do it completely. I'm so thankful for this. Because I know, like I mentioned before, my tendencies, my tendencies and my difficulty to, to do like Philippians 4 and to, with thanksgiving, go before the Lord, even when things are rough. <laughs> with thanksgiving for the situation, praise the Lord for what we get to look forward to. We don't know when this day is coming. This is a joyful thing for us to long for, and that's why I'm so thankful that God didn't leave us with having to wait for forever but we have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. We have the revealed word of God to help us in these things right now. And in the same fashion, we can look and see how God has restored some relationships here now, but we'll ultimately see in Revelation 21 when these things happen, that relationships will be fully restored. Relationships will be fully restored. That's the third point. We read in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is God <clears throat> restoring relationship with man. We know we are ministers of reconciliation, right? 2 Corinthians 5. We are ministers, ambassadors of reconciliation. God is pleading with mankind be reconciled back unto God. But in this moment, in this moment, God is doing something bigger. He's going beyond that. He's going beyond where we are right now. Right now we have temporary peace. Right now we have the ability to be able to rest at times in relationships with people. Sometimes things can get a little bit difficult. They can be a little bit frustrating. 
But thank God that he gives us the ability because of the indwelling Holy Spirit to be able to be united with other believers, even when we disagree, even when we have difficulties. It doesn't last forever. Sometimes more things come up. Sometimes in our relationships with unbelievers, there is, we see no reconciliation. And we long for that. But for some reason, it doesn't happen. What's the reason? Sin that lives in us. God, in this moment, is taking away the source of our sadness. This concept here of wiping away the tear is more like, this is not just the, oh, there, there, kind of wipe away the tear, stop crying, everything's okay. This is him reaching, in the Greek, reaching behind the tear to the source and wiping away the source of the tear so that there is now no reason for us to cry tears of sadness. There's now no reason for us to cry tears of mourning. There's no reason for us to feel pain anymore because all of the former things have passed away. As he restored creation, he also took away the curse on our bodies. He took away the curse on our spirit, on our minds, so that we'd be able to be reconciled with him and to be able to be reconciled with other people. That's the other relationship that is restored from man to man. In Revelation 24, excuse me, 21, verses 24 and 26. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring into, into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This is talking about those kings and those people that have given themselves to God and have said, we want to follow you. We're trusting you. And so these nations that would have been raised up and these kings that would have been raised up, a lot of them who would have been at war against the nation of Israel. Remember the context that John is writing to. A lot of them that would have been at war against the nation of Israel. They are now restored, and all of these nations are coming into the glory of God, bringing the glory that God has given them so that he's glorified in their coming as one united nation. Again, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, and speaking of the four living creatures and the 24 elders, so I, I, ch I changed that there, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God has done this thing in, the, in Revelation 21, in the day of the Lord, after all of the plagues, after all of the judgment, after the great white throne judgment in, in chapter 20, God has brought all of the nations and he's showing this is where we are. This is what you've done. And actually, in Revelation 5 is talking about heaven now. That's what's happening now. All of the nations are, are coming before the Lord and they're singing this song. It, just this past Tuesday, I, talk, I mentioned in our community group, uh, I was going to say it last week, and I decided not to, but I'm going to mention it here today. I'm so thankful for the diversity that's represented in our community group. So thankful. Because in our community group, you've got, you've got, I hope you don't get, get offended. I'm going to use some language here now. <laughs> you've got white 20-somethings, white and black 30-somethings, You've got some 40-somethings. You've got a grandmother, a black grandmother. You've got white great-grandmother and father. You've got people of various levels of education. You've got people with and without kids. All in this same group. And apart from Christ, 
why on earth would we be? Why would I come up to a brother that is three, no, not quite three times, two and a half times my age. I didn't want to get in trouble. From, I'm trying to say it again, brother. From, from Arnton, from, from Arnton, Ohio. All right, that's Ironton. Come up and give him a hug and say, I love you, brother. It's good to see you. I miss you. And him to say the same thing back. Why on earth? This is what God has done on this side of glory. Can you imagine what it will be like on the other side of glory, fully restored across so many different distinctions that we make on this side of heaven? This is what God has done. He's restored relationships with men and women. We'll move on. And to the fourth point is righteousness. Righteousness is restored. And this is, this is hard. <laughs> this is hard to swallow a little bit because every once in a while we start feeling like we're kind of righteous. Right? Look, I don't do what they do. I, I don't go out and get drunk Friday night, Saturday night, halfway make it to church Sunday morning. I don't do that. I don't, I don't cuss people out left and right. I don't do, I don't do that. I, I never killed anybody. I never cheated on, what, you want a cookie? <laughs> I never cheated on my wife. No. In our heart, what have we desired? In our minds, what have we thought? How far are we from the Lord? Even though we think we are so good, Jesus made it clear there's no one good, not one. But praise the Lord, we can read here and we can see in Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8, such a wonderful truth. It's a call and it's a challenge, but it's also a wonderful truth. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, there's good news, and there's bad news, right? The good news is this concept of the one who conquers, this isn't the one, this is, remember grace? This isn't the one that does it right every time, that never gets it wrong, that doesn't sin, that doesn't sin, that's perfect. That's not, we can't do that. We can't be that. That's not conquering. Praise the Lord, in Romans chapter 8, we have an idea of what it means to conquer. In Romans chapter 8, the question is asked, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, can persecution, can principalities or sword, can distress, can famine, can nakedness, can danger separate us from the love of God? No. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Christ Jesus. Can you? <laughs> That's good news, family. We're conquerors because we're in Christ. And so if you are in Christ, you are, in, you are counted among this number, these people that are in Christ that get to enjoy glory, that get to enjoy this new Jerusalem, that get this inheritance. That is a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, there's bad news too. And this description, this list of people, this isn't just a, you know, something that we do here and there. This is for people that are regularly walking in this manner. These are people that, that have not responded in faith and obedience. And unfortunately, they have to suffer the consequences of rejecting God. This is more than just unbelief. 
Because God understands our inability to believe sometimes. And it's, it's made clear in a couple of places. We just looked at it last week. Even our faith is a gift from God. And when a young man was asking Jesus to heal his child, he said, do you believe? And the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And did Jesus say, Un no, there's no room for unbelief. No, that's not what he said. He healed the child. And the man was able to go because of his honesty and Jesus understanding his desire to believe. And so when we look at this list of things, we see us. We may not have, do anybody remember the show Ally McBeal? It's okay. <laughs> We're not going to make fun of you if you remember the show Ally McBeal. Okay? And one of the things that I, I just remember, I didn't watch it regularly, but I just remember flipping through the, okay, I watched it a couple times. So flipping through the channels <laughs> and came across, and, I, and there was something that she would do in her mind. She would think something, how she felt about somebody. And you would see an arrow go through this person's heart, right? And then it would flash back to reality, and no, she didn't actually shoot him with an arrow. So this is us, murderers, when we think about it. We see this list of, of things, sexually immoral, the desires of our heart. Jesus said if a man lusts after a woman in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her. How many of us have told little white lies? How, many, how frequently do those lies become a habit? And we find ourselves doing these things regularly. Now, if we're in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to convict us and to help us to change. And so we're thankful for that. We're thankful for sanctification and seeing less of those things in our lives. And that's the work of God. And we're so thankful for that. But this is a description of people that have rejected God and have decided to rest in their rebellion. And there is, if you're here today, I pray that you hear this in a spirit of love and of hope and of care. There is no other end for rejecting God but this description. And I pray that you do not embrace your rejection. Instead, embrace Christ. Embrace the love that he offers you. Embrace the hope that he offers you. Embrace the changed life that he offers you. Don't wait to end up in this place, dealing with this death, dealing with this lake that burns with sulfur. This concept of the sea being no more. The sea was the source of rebellion. If you remember earlier on in Revelation, that's where the beast came up out of the sea. In Daniel chapter 7, the, the sea is the source of rebellion. The sea is the source of chaos all throughout the scripture. I'm tossed to and fro on the seas of, of, of life is the types of things that we say. We even sing songs about it. But in this case, the sea is no more. This isn't saying that there won't be any water. This is saying that all of the source of all of the rebellion and all of the people that are pushing back against God, that's gone. God has protected his new Jerusalem so that there is no more sea. He is God, and he reigns, and he rules. All right. So that was the, that was the, the, the trudge, <laughs> the academic trudge through the passage. Okay. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? In this passage, and, and looking at, at this uh, Revelation 21 and 22, this concept of restoration, remember, Creation, fall, redemption, and now we're looking at restoration. 
if we look through this, we can see every single one of the 10 sermons that we preached in this series. Every single one of them. God has restored his creation. The fall of man has been completely undone. His covenant with man has been fully realized. He's no longer just doing things for us over there. Now he is with us. He's dwelling among us. We are dwelling inside of him in the new Jerusalem. The Passover, we are being passed over from the wrath of God because of the blood of Christ. All of those others are unfortunately having to deal with and suffer the wrath of God, just like the nation of, of Egypt did. We can see God as the king on the throne reigning. We can see the incarnate Christ as the lamb of God that was slain when they were going to break the seals and open the books. This is what we see in Revelation here as this concept of of, of restoration. We see the resurrection. We see grace poured out on us. But what do we do with it? If you're here and you're an unbeliever, again, I pray that you would repent and turn to the Lord, trusting him for your salvation. Don't let this message wash over you and be about a bunch of stuff that we don't understand. Instead, stop and just realize and accept and understand God is God, God is good. And the only way to have peace with him is through his son. Respond in repentance. Don't let today go by. If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, then maybe today is an opportunity for you to just rejoice. To just rejoice. God, I forgot how big and how great you are. I'm telling you, read Revelation 4 and 5. Try to imagine. I try so hard to imagine to be in his presence and to just experience his authority and him reigning in that moment. Maybe if you're here today and you're sick and you're hurting and your body is racked with pain and the doctors maybe don't even understand and you don't know when, when there will either be relief or not relief and going on to death and life with God, we don't know what's coming. If that's you today, maybe you just rejoice in the fact that one day your body that is now corrupted will put on incorruption. Maybe you rejoice in this hope. We don't know when that's coming. Thankfully, God didn't leave us to that. We know that we can pray. We can ask God to heal. We know that we can pray for the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit that no one else can understand sometimes. But when you are experiencing that peace, maybe today we just rejoice that our broken and fractured relationships that are on this side of heaven will be fully restored. I think about so many people My heart is really full this morning just thinking about the number of people that are hurt, that have been hurt by someone. And I'm not just talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people across the board that have been hurt by someone. Relationships are fractured. So thankful that God one day will fully restore relationships that we'll be able to worship side by side with so many other people, enjoying the glory of God. The last thing that I will mention here for us as we try to figure out what do we do with this. Prayerfully, we look at this and we see something that, that makes us feel a little bit discontented on this side of heaven. 
that we would look and see, man, that is how great heaven is going to be. Man, Lord, I, I, would love to, I would love to see some more of that here. What does it look like, Lord, for us to be able to, to experience more of this? Is it, is it me? Is there something that needs to be uprooted in me to help me to be able to walk in restored relationships with man, to be able to walk in restored relationship with you even more fully? What do I do with this, Lord, to be able to experience a little bit more of glory on this side of the earth? It should make us long for more. Randy Alcorn said this, the bucket list mentality reveals an impoverished view of redemption. Even Christians end up thinking, if I can't live with my dreams now, I never will. Or you only go around once. You hear people say these types of things all the time. But if you know Jesus, you go around twice. <laughs> if you know Jesus, you go around twice. I thought that was so good. And the second time lasts forever. It's called eternal life, and it will be lived in a redeemed universe with King Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in your salvation and what we get to look forward to one day. So I pray that when we look at this portion, we would use this portion of Revelation to worship God. There are going to be questions. There are going to be things that you don't understand. You're going to say, I can't believe you didn't get up there and explain superlapsarianism. Sorry. Let's worship God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Father, for this special revelation of your will, special revelation of who you are, of your intentions toward mankind. We worship you, Lord, for your goodness. We worship you, Lord, for your patience. Revelation is a story of your patience, of you continually extending your hand to people and saying, I have waited and waited and waited and called you and drawn you. I've waited. Respond, repent. And that lack of repentance ultimately ends with some going to be with you in the new Jerusalem, protected from sin and death and mourning and pain and others that unfortunately have to live forever separated from you, enduring the pain of your wrath against sin. And so, Father, for the rest of us who are here, who are in you, I pray, Lord, that you would also use this message, also use this, this text to call us and spur us on to spreading the gospel actively, intentionally, to let our brothers and our sisters and our mothers and fathers, our families, our friends, our co-workers, the stranger we don't know, the man that's on the side of the road asking for money, whoever it is, to let them know about the hope that they can find in Jesus the Christ. Spur us on to active mission so that the number that is present here worshiping you, casting their crowns at your feet, would only be that much greater. Equip us, Lord, as we go from this place. Forgive us for our apathy and empower us to be able to do your will. We pray all these things in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Every week we gather together and we take a moment to um, go before the Lord and worship him and celebrate his sacrifice that he made for us. So if you're here today, 
and you know Christ, and you're longing for him, not just heaven, which is going to be great, but you're longing for him, his very presence in your life even now today, then come, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and rejoice in the salvation that was bought for you by the lamb that was slain. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you're here today and you have not yet turned from rejection into embrace, then I would say, let this meal pass before you. Don't come and take this meal. Not because we're trying to be exclusive, but because it just doesn't have the same weight. It doesn't have the same meaning for you. It's bread and juice versus being something that helps you to enjoy the fellowship and the communion that you have with God through Christ. If you would please stand as we read this communion and then our offering reading. Jesus' death brings us life, and this meal reminds us that we are fed by Jesus and forgiven because of Jesus. We rejoice that you have died, have risen, and are now with the Father advocating for us. Amen. Every week we come and we give a portion of what God has blessed us with. I gave you the call and the charge earlier to consider your giving prayerfully, not this week, not under compulsion. Next week, think about how you would give more sacrificially. I know I was challenged with that uh, as well this week. So uh, as we come, you can come and put your offering in the baskets. If you don't have money to give today, you can give online. If you don't have money to give, you can give of your time and of your talent for what the work of the Lord is doing here in this church and in this community. So with our money, time, and talent, we give generously, knowing that through your son Jesus, you have generously given to us. We rejoice that you have given everything, and we joyfully give everything back to your care. 